What if you could say an all-in yes to yourself for 2022? What if you could commit fully to the things you said you were going to do, to the vision that you have, and to be in the room with a mentor who will hold you accountable, cast an even wider vision for you, and give you the strategy, tools, tactics, and support to ensure that these things come to fruition. Welcome to the iconic experience. Oh, just like comes out of me from the depths of my soul, this program, if I can even call it that. It's just not. That's why it's called the iconic experience. It is an experience. And it is one of the biggest gifts I've ever put out into the world. You are going to be part of a mastermind, a high level executive roundtable of perfectly welcomed in and invited in souls who will collaborate with you and network with you and stretch you and share ideas and all the goodness that comes out of a mastermind is so extraordinary. So you're going to have that every month. You're going to have group Voxer. So that mastermind stays active and you can drop in and ask questions and really share with one another and build deep, meaningful relationships. And on top of that, I thought, what could I do to expand this beyond something that I've seen out there in this world? And that is you have a full iconic experience by welcoming yourself into the rooms of everything I launch live in 2022. So you do not need to contemplate whether you should or do I want to invest. You get to sit back and receive for the entire year as the result of a single yes to yourself. One yes gets you a mastermind for the entire year full of really wicked women, group Voxer with these same women and myself, and you walk in the room for all the live coaching programs that I launch in 2022. You're just in. You're in the room. So this is really for the woman who is ready to lead, lead herself, lead her business, lead her life. And if this sounds like, ooh, it's a prayer I've been asking for, and I just want to say yes to something and just enjoy the experience versus looking constantly for the next thing, the next answer, the next coach, oh, the confusion, the chaos, the energy that is expended through that. Welcome to the iconic experience. You can come into the DMs tell me you're interested, ask the questions. I am so excited to answer them and to get to know you and see if this is a fit for you. Welcome to the best year of your life in 2022. And I'm telling you right now, the iconic experience is going to be like the rocket that's going to take you to the whole new level, the one that you've been asking for. They can kind of give you that perspective of, yeah, you know what? I don't think you need this in there, or maybe someone else wouldn't find that relevant. It's hard to be critical of yourself and what you can cut out. So you almost need to try to put yourself in your audience's position and what do they really want to hear? And what would I want to read about someone if I was searching for an instructor or a business coach? What would I want to read? What's most important to me? What would stand out? Welcome to the Becoming Iconic Podcast. I am your host, Jen Spiegel. I am a life, business, and brand stylist. And after years of helping thousands of female entrepreneurs grow successful businesses and lives, I was called to bring these delicious conversations forward for those of you who are ready to build, expand, and actually enjoy all the desires of your heart. 
I'm so confident that this podcast will support you as you start to elevate and pursue the highest version of yourself. Thank you for being here. Sink in and enjoy. Hey, icons. Welcome to today's podcast with a special friend of mine, Melissa Mucci Pineda. She is a copy editor and has been one for 15 years and took this massive leap into really diving into editing things like books and websites and creating professional bios. She's just the most incredible human. I met Melissa at a store and we initially just like felt this connection and we started chatting and chatting about kids and that turned into this sort of friendship over the years. We live so close together. We've never gotten together in person, but we have definitely stayed connected over social media. And not only is she stylish and fun and full of love, she's a beautiful mom, a beautiful wife and has really stepped into her zone of genius. And I wanted her to come on today and really help us curate professional bios for ourselves. Because as entrepreneurs, this is an essential piece to your business and up-leveling you as the CEO of the company you are building. So Melissa, I'm so glad you're here. Welcome to the podcast. Thank you so much. I'm so, so happy to be here. So I am excited just to dive deep into how you got into copywriting. So maybe you can walk people through your experience and what brought you now to doing the freelance work. Basically, I went to Queen's University. I did my PhD. I thought I wanted to be a professor. I was able to do that for a bit. I taught at the university level in Calgary, at the University of Calgary, and I loved it, but I just didn't feel fulfilled in like what I was teaching. So my degree, my PhD is in political studies, and I do find politics very interesting, but it wasn't where my passion lied, and I had to kind of figure out where that was. It took a while. So I had a baby, and then another baby, and then another baby, (laughs) and I kept doing things on the side, but it would always sort of revolve around editing. So whether it was helping a friend, writing a professional bio, editing a website, editing professors' books, I've helped numerous professors, they've published their works and I've been their editor. I've edited journals as well. I love it. And I just had to really reflect as a mom, you know, what's sort of worth my time away from my kids. The only thing that is really is something that like you really love doing. And if you can do it at home, even better. And so I found that editing was it for me. It's something I thoroughly love doing and I love helping people. That's what I loved about teaching. My husband told me many times that you got to figure out like, what is it? Do you love talking? Do you love teaching? Like, what is it? And I think I just love helping. And so this is my way. This is something that I'm good at, that I love to do. I can help others with. You know what I just occurred to me as you were talking too, is you have this really unique style, which is part of what drew me to you. And I'm wondering, do you find that kind of coordinates with you seeing people and being able to pull out their individual style and who they are? Does that support copy editing? I think so. I mean, personally, I think so. I feel like that my style didn't always support my teaching career. I often got judged. People thought I was either another student or they thought I was unqualified especially men, unfortunately, older men, adult students coming back and saying, well, I don't know, you know, she's clearly more interested in fashion than she is in political science. I always thought that was curious, you know, because you're getting judged by what you look like. I look at you and yeah, judge you, but in a way in this like loving way where I'm like, oh man, like she's got it going on, you know, as opposed to thinking, ooh, no, I don't think she's good at her job because she's too stylish. 
I didn't want to be part of that where I couldn't be me and do something I loved. But just to kind of bring it back to the question, I do feel that because I know everyone's an individual and I try to help them kind of find that, especially with their professional bios. And in terms of their writing too, you know, as I've done some ghostwriting, editing, never would I take away someone's style. You know, I want to find that style, raise that style up help them embrace it. And it just kind of get them ready for that next stage, whether it's publication, a job that they're searching for, something like that. And I feel like recognizing everyone's unique sense of style definitely helps. And I do, I appreciate people's style, all all sorts of, if you've got the confidence, you can pull anything off. I find that so interesting. I would never have thought that the way you look, which friends, if you go hang out with her over on Instagram, you're going to know what I mean. (laughs) that would ever work against you. But in your professional career as a professor, it's so interesting how people judge. Ah, it just makes me batty because I just look at you and think that to me exudes confidence, exudes a woman who knows who she is and creativity and just this like elegance. And yet that was from a male perspective turned Mm -hmm. against you. Interesting. I know it was very interesting. I remember having a professor at Brock University in my undergrad and she was unbelievable. Always came in in stilettos, had these cute leather skirts, all different colors. And I just remember thinking like, she's good at what she does and she looks amazing. Like it's like she makes the political science profession look sexy, you know, and attractive. And I love that. I think now in retrospect, I never thought about it before, but I think I really aspired to be that, you know, she was one of my role models without even realizing it. It's just something that I loved, um, a passion, but also bringing the fashion in Mm. and fashion kind of makes everything better anyways. Yeah. It's interesting. I, yeah, I never found a woman that told me that I looked unqualified because of what I look like if anything, but then again, I'd get these comments on my, um, survey sheets. Oh, I love her style, which was flattering. But then at the same time, I felt like it still took away from uh, my intellect or what I was able to offer. It wasn't like, oh, she's a good professor because it's, oh yeah, she's a great professor. Uh, Love her style or love her outfit today. So then I'm like, okay, am I just being too much? You know, I don't want my outfits to draw. And it's not like I'm wearing crazy things, but I don't know. I, I felt like I just, I don't know, didn't fit in in a way. And I've never been one to feel as though I needed to fit in. But I really definitely felt like I didn't at the university level in terms of what I should look like or what people would expect me to look like, I suppose. Even like as a woman with a strong faith, I remember as a teenager, I was never Mm -mm. provocative. I was always like edgy, sexy, but had this elegance, like molding those together. People saying, well, you shouldn't dress like that or, you know to dumb ourselves down, like make us more simple and plain because everybody else becomes more comfortable. And I'm really actually grateful you walked through that. It couldn't have always been easy. And I'm sure at times it was triggering, but yet I think it chiseled you into who you are today and being able to work with professionals and own your space. Absolutely. I agree. I think what we go through makes us stronger for sure. And if anything, it just encouraged me to be more of me. You know, I wasn't going to change because it was uncomfortable for someone else. Obviously, you've done the same. <laughs> yeah. This is what I love about podcasting is we get to have these conversations and people can come into the room and just feel like they're with us right now. And we're just mm-hmm. having this beautiful conversation. And it is also a beautiful part of your journey and story. And people will identify with that. I know I can, I know other women listening in will. And so I appreciate you sharing that piece because that brings up some really interesting questions 
and some really interesting perspectives that I think we could dive deeper into in the future of what Mm -hmm. does that mean when someone says you need to look a certain way to elevate your professionalism. I know, right? It's interesting. And so we're speaking today about elevating our professionalism in a way of, you know, professional bio, for instance. But yeah, it's bizarre to be told that you'd have to change, you know, your appearance or just that it was implied. You know, it was never really told to me, but based on the responses I would get, it was very clear. Well, smart, stylish, kind. You've got the whole package, friend. So I'm so glad you're embodying that and owning it. Let's pivot then into professional bios, because I think this is a really important subject. I'm sure from your perspective, you must look at bios from entrepreneurs and go, oh my word, you're sending those out. I do need to plug you here and let people know that Melissa is my editor. So I use her within my business and editing my website and my bio. So I am speaking and advocating for her from firsthand experience. But I know you taught me a lot of what to pay attention to within my bio and Mm -hmm. some of the things that you were like, you know, it's worth having an editor come in because there's little things that most people wouldn't notice that you would pick up on. It really brought something up in me that maybe I don't notice, but if I send that off to a podcast or to a publication or whatever it may be, and there's some little tiny grammatical, grammatical, see, I need your help. Is it grammatical? Grammatical. Grammatical. (laughs) See, friends, we all need a Melissa. Okay, grammatical (laughs) errors. (laughs) Then that just takes what I have to offer and just brings it down just one little notch. And that was what really spoke to me. I thought, you know what? If I'm going to be the CEO of Becoming Iconic, this company I'm building, the company will have the I's dotted and the T's crossed. So maybe you could walk us through what is a bio? Because let's assume some people don't even really realize what that is. What's a bio? Professional bio is just basically a summary of who you are, your accomplishments. Oftentimes you want to put in your education, the changes you are either making in your company, the differences you're making, something that you want to share with others. So it's basically an opportunity for you to really bolster yourself, for you to really brag about yourself it's usually catered towards either getting a job, getting clients, things of that nature. So what I always tell my clients, the entrepreneurs I work with, is to think about how you want to be seen. And then you go from there. So if a client tells me they want to be seen as very fun loving, but also professional, it's like I have to go in with that kind of mentality. Like we're going to prove that they know what they're talking about, but that they're also very easygoing or easy to talk to. So there's that. Or if someone wants to come across strictly as a professional entrepreneur, you know, very serious, especially as a woman, oftentimes I find my clients will say that too, because they want to be taken seriously as they should, but it seems just a little bit harder for us women sometimes. So it's like, well, don't talk too much about being a mom. Don't talk too much about style or fashion. You know, it's unfortunate, but it's, it's a matter of catering to your audience. So in summary, a professional bio is basically you're introducing yourself, you're selling yourself, you're giving the point forms and the highlights of your personal and professional career in life. What I'm hearing too, though, that I think is really important. This mm-hmm. message is so important. As women, I'm going to call it out, we have Mm -hmm. also been conditioned to be humble and to not be boastful. And so I know when you're creating a bio, that narrative was loud for me. Like, 
share your good parts, but don't be too much, Jen, and always wanting Mm -hmm. to bring it back. This is not the opportunity from what I'm understanding to get into that stuck in that narrative. This is a time to stand up in your confidence. Is that right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And that's why it's always suggested and encouraged that you speak in third person. It kind of makes it easier for us women to um, brag about ourselves because it's as if someone else is writing it for us. And oftentimes it is. I mean, you can hire someone like me. I will do it for you. But if you're writing your own, even just to start with, to practice, you just speak of yourself in the third person. And Melissa went to school here and Melissa accomplished this or that. And then you're like, okay, I I can talk about this Melissa person, you know, (laughs) as opposed to I, it feels weird for women to say I, I this, I that, and to brag about ourselves. It, It just feels wrong for some bizarre reason. I'm glad we're talking about this because it's something to shine a light on for those listening in who are maybe at that stage where they want to create one. This is not a time to take it down and humble yourself to a point Mm -hmm. where you're not just being so celebratory, like just excited to be able to share all the things. And there's something about acknowledging all the accomplishments we have had that I know put me immediately into this form of gratitude. Like, oh my goodness, I really have accomplished a lot. And that felt good. Absolutely. Absolutely. It's so easy to focus on the things that we haven't achieved yet or the things that we don't have. And it's easy to feel guilty about the success you may have or where you are in life. And this is the perfect opportunity to just really speak highly of yourself, you know, embrace the gifts you have because, you know, there's only one you. So it's a matter of finding a way to show others that there's only one you in your professional bio. We desire to be unique and special and stand out, but there's also still this narrative where we compare and want to fit in and almost shape ourselves like everybody else because that's comfortable. And so you bring up a really good point as you're creating this bio, it's not to create a bio like everybody else. This is an opportunity to separate yourself and stand out with your unique gifts and experience. Absolutely. Absolutely. So with that in mind, plus who your audience is, then you can really get off to a strong start on writing your own professional bio and then kind of going from there. So it's, it's just fun because every bio is different for me to write. So you really feel like you get to know the person. You know, when I was writing yours, it's like pages upon pages. And I'm like, hey, editing this out, you know, because you want to be as thorough as possible. But then you have to keep in mind concise. That's another point I was going to speak to today. You want to be more concise, like less is more. So you have your short bio, which is a perfect opportunity to be very concise, specific, and gear it towards your audience, whether it's a future employer a client, a peer, then you have your long professional bio where you can expand a little bit more. What are some of the things that are sort of the essential pieces to creating a lengthy bio? What must be in there? So what must be in there, you want to talk about your career. You want to summarize your career. You want to gear it toward your goal. So you're not going to talk about the fact that you were a waitress or the fact that you did this or that when you're not applying for a waitressing position. If you're out there and you want to start your your online business in yoga, then you will sell yourself as that. You know, so you'll talk about your experience with that, where you were trained, what your goal is in this new profession, things you believe in, things like that. You want to keep it fairly short, but you want to find something, your why essentially, you want to put it in there. And then you want to back it up. So basically you're saying who you are, you want to make it interesting, not just simply point form, but you can do that again for someone like me. Give me your point forms. You want to provide examples of work experience. 
You want to back it up with your education. And then you want to kind of end it on a note where you're selling yourself in the image that you want, whether it's professional entrepreneur, fun-loving yoga teacher, things like that. Are you ending it with casting your vision or are you ending it with really edifying who you are? I would say you're ending it by edifying who you are and you want to cast your vision in the beginning. You want to cast your vision to really capture the audience. Like this is what I'm focusing on. These are the changes or this is my goal or this is what I'm currently doing. You know, I'm making women iconic, you know, something like that. And it's like, whoa, what? (laughs) I need to read more. (laughs) I need to read. What does this mean? So that kind of thing. And you don't want to go into it too, too much because then they can look through your website or other information you may have to um, learn more about you or call you or email, et cetera. But you want to just put enough out there that they understand that they get a sense of who you are and what you're selling. So it's almost like this flirtation, this teaser of high level, here's who I am, but you're giving detail and then backing it up with, I am the expert at this. I am the guru, the person. I love that. That's really helpful. So how do you condense that then into something shorter? Because even the podcast get those short, concise bios often. How do you Mm -hmm. condense it into something that's tight and also still has that vision casting? That's the hardest part, I find. The longer ones are a lot easier to write. And then the shorter ones, you want to summarize each of your points even more. But it is harder, definitely, to be more concise when you're already trying to be concise. You know, you could have written three pages. You're writing one. Now you have to break it down to one paragraph. So I think then the key is just rereading it and rereading it. And what I do is just like take a break from it, go back with a fresh pair of eyes, get an outside opinion as well. If you don't have an editor, then get your husband or your friend to read it. They can kind of give you that perspective of, yeah, you know what? I don't think you need this in there. Or maybe someone else wouldn't find that relevant. It's hard to be critical of yourself and what you can cut out. So you almost need to try to put yourself in your audience's position and what do they really want to hear? And what would I want to read about someone if I was searching for an instructor or a business coach? What would I want to read? What's most important to me? What would stand out? Okay, good. So I'm assuming, so correct me if I'm wrong, I'm happy to be corrected. The longer bio is where you put like your accreditations, your schooling, education, here's what I've done like 15 years as a business coach. The smaller piece may not have your education and your work experience. It's more of here's who I am. Mm -hmm. Here's what I offer. Maybe a little bit of evidence of the success, I suppose. Like, would you throw some evidence in there? Yeah, absolutely. You could one sentence, something like that. You definitely could. You just make everything shorter. So if you have a long list of credentials, you kind of summarize it into like, what's the key one that you need to put in this particular sentence? Give one example instead of like three where you could give for the longer bio. I'm almost assuming, again, this I'm kind of learning through you. Correct me if I'm wrong. Absolutely. But the shorter bio almost seems to me like it's ever living that you can curate it and tweak it based on where you're sending that and what you're sending it for. Is that true? Yeah, that's beautifully said. That is the one that you can tweak a lot easier. The other one is usually like the professional one that kind of, you know, goes almost like as a resume. Yeah, exactly. And then your short one, that's the one you're tweaking if you're applying for this or that, or you're trying to cater to whatever group or audience that you're catering to in that instance, you just tweak it a little bit here or there. Absolutely. Thank you. So talk to me a little bit about what you see Mm -hmm. as an editor in copy that 
we could maybe keep our eyes and mind open. Like what are maybe some common mistakes you're seeing or corrections that could be made? Well, the number one thing that I see often is the there and there confusion. So the T-H-E-R-E and the T-H-E-I-R and people get those confused. From an editor's perspective, when you're reading something that's professional on someone's website, it's just like, oh my gosh, that's the thing that kind of stands out. An example too, uh, my husband and I went out for dinner this past Friday to the Carriage House in Burlington. So if you're not familiar with it, it's a very nice restaurant. I'd say on the upper class side in terms of you're going to spend a little bit of money going there. So it was a real treat for us to go there. It's not something we do every weekend. And uh, we're there and we sit down and it's like formal dining and they put uh, the menu in front of us and it says cocktail suggestions, but with one G instead of two Gs. My husband looks at me, says, don't you dare, Uh, but I have to, because like, that's who I am. I I can't let the carriage house continue on with this glaring grammatical error. So I tell the waiter and he's like, oh my gosh, I didn't even notice. And I said, listen, like if this was a lesser institution, I would let it fly. But I think, you know, you would probably want to know. I'm a little embarrassed for you, to be quite honest. And he said, oh my God, you're absolutely right. Thank you. My husband's like, oh, he's going to spit in your food now. I'm like, no, he's not. (laughs) I'm like, I'm doing this like with love. You know, it's like, look, like this is your reputation here. I don't want anyone else seeing this. You got to fix this. Right. (laughs) So it's stuff like that, like just little errors that, it kind of make you cringe. And that could be the difference. Sometimes I hear often afterwards with the feedback, like, Ooh, yeah, I didn't realize that. Or someone else commented to me, Oh, did you see their website? And there's this or that, or they don't know how to use a semicolon. Or, I mean, some people get a little picky. I'd let the semicolon slide. That's a difficult one to use, but uh, with respect to there and there, yeah, that that's the most common one. My husband even does it. <laughs> so it, it, it does not speak to intelligence it can take away from the image that you're trying to present and convey if you don't have little things like that taken care of. And I know too, from experience that sometimes when you're working on a bio or your website, you have looked at it for so long that the words almost start blending into one another. And those things like the suggestions, I want to assume it's not out of carelessness. Maybe it was, but (laughs) I'm going to assume it wasn't because I'm sure the person designing that menu spent so much time on the graphics and you know exactly. listing the ingredients correctly that your eyes go cross. So mm-hmm. have somebody look over your work before you yes. put it out into the world. Absolutely. Absolutely. Like I'm one of those people that in books or articles, I'm like literally circling the grammatical errors. They're everywhere. You have to wonder. I think sometimes I used to email The Economist, this political magazine. Yeah. I think they got annoyed with me because every week it was like, oh, by the way, here's another grammatical error. And they're like, oh, geez, here she is again. <laughs> I guess like from their perspective, it's like they're trying to get their news out as fast as possible, trying to get the facts straight. Never mind if they like missed an E here or there. But to me, it's like as a reader, like that's important to me. And I know it's important to a lot of people that are reading and it speaks to people's credibility, especially as a news agency, I would argue. So I am a global company. I go all the way from Asia to South Africa, Europe, North America. And one of the things I know that really gets in my way is spelling according to the Canadian version Mm. versus the US version. I flip-flop. I'm all over the place. I never know what the correct spelling is. Like the word color in Canada, it has a U in the United States. It doesn't have a U. What does someone like myself, who's building a global company, what version do you choose? 
think of your audience. So you could easily get away with the Canadian version as you are Canadian and you would state that somewhere on your website, you know, that you're Canadian, you're global, but Canadian based. Or you could just cater to the more common one, I suppose, you know, the the United States, the American one, spelling it without the U. I know I find myself making that same decision depending on who my audience is. But since your company is global, I mean, you would you could really get away with doing either. The most important thing is, I would have to say, is that you're consistent. That's all that matters. That's something else that I notice as well. And it's almost as bad as there and there. It's like the lack of consistency. Someone will spell something some way. And then two sentences later, it's spelled differently. Right. And you're like, wait, what? Like, or so we're we talking about the same thing now or is, and it seems very inconsistent. It, it, it's not smooth. It's not easy to read. So yeah. So, I mean, you can't go wrong, but just pick one and stick to it. And I definitely am one of those people that I'm flip-flopping. Like, <laughs> <laughs> I love that I'm a Canadian business owner, but yes. that my business is definitely not Canadian based exclusively. Yep. You want to have that professionalism, not yeah, that yeah. Canadian spelling is unprofessional, but if someone in the United States were reading my copy, would that take their eyes off of or mm. focus off of what they're reading to be like, oh, they spelt that differently? That's yeah. always my question. But I would almost err on the side of, you know, the more common way, which is the American way. I agree. Mm. It's just keeping that, like you said, consistency, choosing the more common way that people just resonate with. Exactly. And again, with respect to your audience. So if you're catering to entrepreneurs and you find the majority of them are, you know, outside of Canada. So then you have all the other countries that you're looking at and you're like, yeah, they all spell it this way, or they at least all recognize the American spelling, then it would just be easier to do that. I have to ask you this because um, we, before we hit record, I was telling you about the podcast I did with my friend Priscilla and we talked about the pet peeves in fashion. And so I imagine we talked about there and there. So Mm -hmm. I'm assuming that's one of them, but what are some pet peeves that you have that just make you like twitch when you're reading them? The there and the there is definitely at the top. Another one for me that makes me kind of twitch or just, there's a lot of expressions people use nowadays. And I, I would rather not give an example because I don't want to hurt anyone's feelings because let's just say there are a lot of examples. Let's, let's say for instance, I even catch myself. I wanted to refer to you in your professional bio as the OG social influencer, right? Which you are, you've been doing this for like 15 years and you're an original in this area, but then I'm like, okay, is it too much? And I feel like it again, depends on your audience, right? Like there's a time and place to say cool beans. And okay, I said it. Cool beans is an example. I'm seeing this stuff or I see this kind of like slang where, okay, what do you, what do you actually mean? I know what you're saying, but what do you mean? So a pet peeve for me is when people write the way they speak Mm -hmm. and you can't write the way you speak. Writing is a different form than speaking and speaking. You can be way more, I use colloquialisms or just speak differently in slang almost and it works, but then in writing, it just doesn't. I'm a bit of a stickler though. I'm like the old school, like I don't like contractions. I really don't. And things change are constantly changing in the English language and in language in general. And now contractions are completely accepted in, I wouldn't say academic writing, but in writing magazines, newspapers, absolutely in books as well. And another thing that was a pet peeve of mine, but I have to get over it is starting a sentence with and that used to be unacceptable and it is completely legal in terms of, you know, uh, the rules of the written word, you can start a sentence with and, and that just like blew my mind. 
I know being raised by a teacher and my grandparents is like, you do not start your sentence with and, and I'm seeing it all the time. I'm like, there must be a rule that I missed that there is an exception, but I guess what we've done is just completely swung the pendulum over to say you can. We have, I'm not sure when it happened. I'd have to say, you know, like five years ago ish, but it's just, is that way now? I just recently learned of it. I was getting my professional certification for editing at the university of Waterloo. And that's when my American professor informed me of this. I was like, what? I'm like, are you sure? Like, yeah, no, it, it's a thing, you know, like language evolves. I'm like, no, I get that. But I just, same, right? I was brought up by someone who was a stickler for all sorts of, yeah, contractions, starting a sentence with and, ending a sentence with to, what you have, period. Like you're not supposed to end a sentence in that way. And now like that's completely accepted. It's weird. I, I'm. That's funny that you can relate as well. It's like out of my comfort zone, but it's something that I have to recognize that it just is. The world's moved on. We're over starting a sentence with and. It's okay now. When it comes to numbers, so mm-hmm. when I'm writing, as another thing, I flip-flop. If you look at my copy, which I know you're doing, <laughs> you're going to see sometimes I use the actual number, like 15 years, yes. I use the number 15, but I know yes. the formal way, the more professional way is to actually spell out the word. Is there a better like option or do both work? What's your opinion on that? I love that you asked that because... I was a stickler about two, but I'm, I'm trying to ease up because again, now, yes, rule wise, it should be numbers 10 and under you spell out. So four would be F-O-U-R, you spell it out. 10 and above, you write the actual number, numerical. However, there are situations where, and one example a professor of mine had given me once was, you're not going to write out, so you're not going to put 17 and write out 17 three quarter pounds of hamburgers. Like there'd be way too many written out or numerical numbers. Like you have to just kind of use your best judgment. You don't want it to be confusing. You don't want to have to write out 2,221 if you're writing the year. Again, it goes back to consistency. If you're going to pick something, stick with it. I wouldn't be writing three numerically and then in the next sentence spelling out three. But if you stick with three numerically, that's totally fine. Okay. I like that because it's, Mm. it's like that in anything in life, isn't it? Pick what you want to do and stick to it and own it. And that's what I'm hearing from you. Even with writing our bios is it's time to stand up, straighten our backs, roll our shoulders back and just own our space and do it consistently. So once we declare this openly and you have a editor, please use Melissa. She's amazing. You know, you have Melissa come and take a look before you put it out into the world. Then it's now just staying in that form. I want to call it of the tone, the style, yeah, the yeah. words you use. Absolutely. Okay. Absolutely. Um, and one last pet peeve um, yeah. that I just thought of it's when people use acronyms and they don't explain them. So they'll throw out an acronym like, oh, I'm thinking Alzheimer's society for some reason, AS and they have AS as if everyone's supposed to know what AS means. You have to write rather as if your audience doesn't know what you're talking about. I mean, it's completely different. If you know for sure your audience is going to know exactly what you're talking about. Like in the legal world, my husband tells me, I don't have to change this word, Melissa. It's okay if we use the same adjective 20 times because it's a legal brief. Okay, fine. So that's he knows his audience. But then you can't be using the same adjective 20 times in a situation where you're writing an article for a newspaper or journal or on a blog. So, and that's the same with acronyms. Like just assume people aren't going to know exactly what you're talking about. So you just, all you have to do is spell it out the once. So you do Alzheimer's society, you put in brackets AS, 
And then from then on, you can use AS and you don't want to alternate. So some people then write out the whole thing. Two sentences later, use the acronym, just stick to the acronym. Or if you don't want to use an acronym, stick to spelling it out every single time. Okay. Well, this is great because it comes back to consistency. Yes, it does. Yeah. And explanation and always remembering who we're speaking to. That's another piece that I'm really pulling from what you're saying. You've said it many times. Who are you talking to? We have to remember her language, where she is at, what is going to resonate with her versus where we are maybe 15 years further down the path. We can't take for granted that a new entrepreneur understands all of these things at this point. They're going to graduate into that. But I love that awareness. I've taken like, own your expertise Know who you're speaking to and speak to her every single time and then be consistent in everything you do and how you describe yourself using acronyms, numbers consistent in American version, Canadian version, like just (laughs) keep it it sharp and crisp. And then that up-leveling of people perceiving us coming in and reading, they see us through the lenses of, wow, she's, she's got it together. I really don't know if all entrepreneurs understand this and they're reading other people's bios and kind of curating their own based on what she wrote. And it never really, I don't know, it just never has that punch, that impact that it could have. If you learn how to develop one, write it from your stance and have somebody proofread it and then put it out there in the world. Because I know when I receive bios, which I do dozens of times a day Mm -hmm. for pitches onto the podcast, you really do see the variance. I mean, it's really obvious. I can imagine. Absolutely. Yeah. Okay. So how are you going to be iconic today, my beautiful friend? Well, I think what I'm going to do is finish up your professional bio. That's how I'm going to be iconic today. I've worked on your bio a lot, but I have some finishing touches. And I, after having seen your beautiful face and spoken to you, I feel like, you know what? I feel even more inspired to kind of like get the gen vibe out there. That is nice because that's the first time somebody's <laughs> answered and there's a ripple effect into my world. Thank you. <laughs> nice speaking with you always, you know, so you're like a ray of sunshine. So I'm like, you know what? Yes. I wasn't expecting the, how am I going to be iconic? But yeah, I'm going to bring it back to you. You're a gem. Friends, we're going to put all the links of how to connect with Melissa below in the show notes, but where would you love them to come hang out with you? Yes. um, I'm so excited to work with any and all entrepreneurs, all women, everyone. Um, If I can help in some way with my editing, professional bios, any books you might want to get out there, I'd be happy to. So come find me on Instagram, Melissa M. Pineda blog, and on LinkedIn, Melissa Mucci Pineda. I can't wait to continue our relationship. We've got lots in the future. And friends, please make sure that you take this type of podcast, share it with your friends, share it with your team. If you have an executive team, part of leadership is also educating and training and helping them extend their learning. So this would be a beautiful thing to share. If you have a social media manager or a VA, these types of podcasts are a great way just to hone their skills and up-level them when they're you know, a part of your brand and putting things out there in the world too. So this is a very shareable podcast. I appreciate you so much and uh, we'll talk Thank to you, you soon. I appreciate you as well. Thank you so much, Jen. Thanks for having me. Thank you so much for being here. I hope you know how deeply grateful I am for the time and space you give to the Becoming Iconic podcast. It is an honor and a privilege to show up here twice a week and pour into you. And thank you for those five-star reviews that you've been giving and those beautiful compliments. It means so much. 
And the time you spend to do that is just the most beautiful way to give back. The other thing I want to challenge us to as a community is to share more. It's so simple to copy this link into a text to a friend who you think would benefit from what you just listened to or share it into your stories. Make sure to tag me, by the way, because I love resharing and allowing your network to maybe discover something that they wouldn't have if it weren't for you. And just a gentle reminder that jenspiegel.com, that website was designed for you, for you in mind and what you need in your life and business, the blog, the resources, the different ways of working together, they all sit there and they're available to you. So I challenge you to go over there, make it a habit of checking out what's new and exciting. At the end of the day, I just want you to know I love this community. I appreciate being able to show up for you. And I just want you to make it a great day.